As a thank you in advance for listening to this episode, please feel free to grab yourself a free copy of the Book of Public Speaking at thebookofpublicspeaking.com. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier uh, with the latest edition and episode of the show. Uh, you may notice the funky background. I'm actually uh, broadcasting from a basement today. First time ever uh, of a friend's place because I couldn't make it to the hotel in time. So I figure I might as well let you know what's going on rather than you guessing or trying to figure out what the heck is that in the background. Uh, so I think they're doing the walls here. I'm pretty sure. I, I hope. Um, so that being said, excited to be back with a new episode, excited to be back with a brand new guest who, as our, guest, our listeners and viewers know, I love introducing new guests to our, to our viewers and listeners and, and helping to share their stories. So this is no difference. This is someone I met uh, just a few months ago, and I'm excited to bring her on the show and hear her story. Uh, so Verit Hogan, really excited to have you with us today. And where I usually like to start is to get our guests to tell us a little bit about their backstory and I guess where they spend their time today, just so we can learn a little bit about them. Sure. So backstory, okay. Well, what comes to mind, I would say, is I think like most people, my greatest joys and victories started from the greatest pain. And what I mean by that is what I do these days is that I coach and I speak and I do that on mindset and kind of how to create change in life. And that stemmed from, uh, at the time, what was a pretty devastating change, which was that I was laid off. Um, I was working as a consultant at the time and uh, there was a big merger that was going on and I was laid off. And it was one of the lowest points in my life because, you know, imagine coming from a job that was uh, very prestigious, very uh, lucrative, very successful. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden being with no job, not really knowing what to do. I mean, we kind of knew that there would be some organizational changes, didn't expect a layoff and not so quickly. So um, luckily I had a career coach who helped me, uh, gave me uh, a lot of love, gave me a lot of encouragement and helped me to believe in myself again. And I was able to create some pretty massive changes that ultimately led to where I am today. Wow. And so I, I guess, well, first and foremost, I know it's never easy to go through that, but if you look back now, because I mean, I asked a lot of people about the silver linings that they've discovered in some of the hardest times. For you, can we say that there were some silver linings? Like, did, did it work out for the best? Are you glad it happened? What, oh, how does that look now? 100%. Oh, yeah. It's, it's all good. Uh, I know everything is always working out for me. And, but when we're in the middle of the story, it's hard to see that. We just have to trust that um, things are working out for us. And when we do, our brain will help us to see possibilities of how that is. And uh, so when we're in the change, we're in the, what I call the dip, right? The, if you imagine a change, a typical change process of productivity over time, right? When we go through a change, typically productivity morale goes down before it goes back up. And so when we're in that down trend, it's, you know, we've experienced a lot of what we call negative emotions, right? A lot of, you know, sometimes shock, like I did. There's a little bit of denial. There's 
you know, embarrassment, there's shame, there's frustration, there's anger. Ultimately, there's a whole lot of sadness. But when we're in the middle of that, our brain cannot, um, in that state, cannot process um, really what's, what's the benefit unless we consciously do that because we're, we're inhibited. Our brain is blocked from seeing those silver linings. And so it's a matter of just knowing that it's a process. Any change is, is uh, something that's new for the brain. And what that means is that, you know, the brain is going to reject it at first because it's new and it's different. And our brain likes habits. It likes to do things the way it's always done. So here I was, you know, without a job, something that was new. I didn't know what would happen. And so immediately that fear comes in, right? The fear of the unknown of, oh my God, what does this mean? What is everybody going to think, right? Yes, it was due to a reorg, but what if they think I did something wrong? And oh my God, what are my parents going to think? What are my friends going to you know, All those thoughts that enter our mind. Um, and we, we can't think clearly at first. So what we just have to remember is to give ourselves a lot of love and to say, that's okay, right? This is a change. I will adjust and, and to know that it's just a matter of time until we get the clarity and ultimately the shifts that we want. But, but yes, absolutely. It was for my benefit. And as I look back, I did a lot of coaching. Uh, now I work mostly with executives, but um, years ago I used to work mostly in, in outplacement. So helping people to that were laid off to go through this. And there were a lot of emotions um, and every single one of them ended up in a better place than they had been before. But in, when they're in the story, when they're knee deep and all the negative emotions and all the rejections and all the stuff that, that can happen when we're creating something different, you know, it's, it's very important to maintain our state, to, to do things that make us feel good so that we can think more clearly and that change will come even faster because we'll get those ideas that'll give us, um, you know, the, the, the momentum to move forward. Well, it's interesting when you say this because what popped into my head too is, so my, my latest TEDx talk uh, is called, uh, what would you say to your younger self? <laughs> and so, and by the way, you have this question just as a heads up coming to you soon. But um, I asked this question about what would people tell their younger selves based on what they know now? And what's interesting about what you just said about how every person came out the better side. What's interesting is that when I've asked this question to the, the top thought leaders in the world, over and over, so I, what I share in the talk is what the common answer is, and, and there's themes, and of course there's common answers, but the most common, I would say, theme slash answer is they tell themselves, you know what, well, two, two things. One, stay on path, because mm -hmm. even the crappy stuff that's happening needs to happen for you to get to the good stuff, and, and B, the messy middle, you know, the, 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 the dip, the bottom part of your dip, is actually going to uh, result in the best part of your life. So meaning like it's going to be the, it's going to, so let's say you got laid off, you got let go. That's the messy middle for some people, but that part is going to happen so that you can propel to something bigger. But to your point, it's interesting. Even the top thought leaders say they would tell that to the younger selves, which tells you when their younger selves are going through it. And these are some of the greatest, I don't want to say greatest minds in the world, but some of the most highly successful people in the world still don't get that when they're that age. They need to grow and, and become that. So it's interesting you say that most of them get there, but when you're in it, it doesn't feel like that. That's right. That's right. And that's why it's important to do, to do the work. And I can even train your listeners if we want a little bit on a technique later on, but to do the work to stay what we call coherent, to be able to stay in that better feeling place so that they're neurologically, 
physiologically in a better state to get those ideas that will move them forward even faster, to get through that dip even faster and not to have it hurt so much. Um, and and that's, that's the work, that's the opportunity to get themselves ready for that next step, but mentally, emotionally ready. They might not know what that next step is, they might not know exactly how to get there, but those answers will come even faster if they do the, emo the work to manage their emotions. So here's a question on that too. Can people do the, uh, this is a weird way to probably present this or ask it, but can they do the work sooner than when they need to do the work? And so what do I mean by that? What I mean is it seems like from me studying people for a lot of years now, we need to hit the bottom before we see the reason to make a change. But is there things that we can do to get ourselves to that spot sooner with also, and this is the big part, the actual motivation and desire to make the change rather than just go, like for example, person says, I want to lose weight. But then a lot of people need to have something happen major and it could be just they step on the scale and they the highest they've ever weighed and went whoa oh my god and then all of a sudden they have this major why and catalyst and they they lose all this weight or they're they want to leave their job but then they have to actually lose the job to go do something else what uh, you probably see where i'm driving at here is there a way to emotionally get us there sooner than having to hit our bottom to do it absolutely absolutely and we know this from science so um, you touch on a few things. So first of all, we've got to have a desire for change. That's number one. So for many people, that desire, like me initially, right, when I got laid off, and that's why there, there was a silver lining, because I had to experience the pain to realize what it is that I truly wanted. And, um, and there are other ways, right? So neurologically, we're wired to either walk toward a change or walk, you know, what we want or to move away from what we don't want. Most of us are moving away from what we don't want. We're moving away, let's say if I want to have more money, a lot of us are moving away from poverty or from not having enough. And what happens is if that's the motivator because we experience the pain of that, then, then we're only, so imagine if looking at my hands here since we're on video, if this is what, um, what we're moving away from, let's say the pain, right, of not having enough. So let's say in the case of weight, it would be of, you know, being overweight or not fitting into our jeans or not looking good in a bikini or whatever that is. And then over here is our uh, being at our ideal weight, feeling good, looking good, all of that stuff. Most of us are facing over here and moving away from that. So what happens is that we move just enough away. We lose just, you know, we, we do what we need to do. We lose just enough weight. And then all of a sudden our unconscious mind is going, okay, I'm not feeling the pain anymore. And because it's addicted to the chemicals of those emotions, we find ourselves right back there. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it goes with weight. It goes with, with relationships. It works the same thing with money. And I see this all the time. And that's a pattern, right? We move away, we move towards. So what we want to do is to get people to be focused over here towards what they want. So they don't have to experience the dip or the pain that you refer to. And yes, we can prime our brain to look towards what we want through techniques like visualization, uh, like anchoring some of the other techniques that I help my clients with, because it is that da those daily rituals, daily conditioning the mind, toward what you want so that your mind already has a picture, a clear picture of what that is and your body, you can already feel it. You already know what that feels like. And then your unconscious mind is mo motivated to move over here. So interestingly enough, what I thought of when you were sharing that about um, it's conditioned to go back there is, are you familiar with T. Harv Eker? I am not. No. Okay, so he wrote a book called, and I might have this title slightly wrong, but it's something like this, The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Okay. Or Secrets of Millionaire Mindset. And he's somebody who, now, 
he's been really by society definition really successful in the years since in fact he sold his training company for the largest amount of training company was ever sold a number of years ago and i think it was called peak potentials and he oh, was okay. seminars all over the world mm -hmm. but here's the interesting part he started out with a sole goal to become a millionaire he became a millionaire then he lost it all became a millionaire again lost it all second time and then he said something's got to shift okay. and he talked to this uh rich sustainable person you know who said sustain sustain the money and he said you know what should i do and he said well something different than what you're doing now because it's clearly not working so anyway he told him you need to figure out how um wealthy people think that actually retain their money long story short uh, what harv um practices now and talks about now in his book and in his work which and i so i i i don't want to put any bias in it but i i it makes sense to me is he said you need to reset your money blueprint Mm -hmm. And he said, most people's money blueprint is on a certain set point. Mm -hmm. And so he said, I can pretty much tell you, almost without exception, if you show me your bank account and your history for the last six months, what it'll look like in 10 years, mm -hmm. unless your money blueprint changes. And he said, in fact, even if you win the lottery, it'll still set, go back to that set point, whatever it is. And he said, and, and not, he said, not to confuse things, your set point could be on millionaire and it could stay there. Mm -hmm. But he said, for most people, sadly, it's on just over broke. Yes. Uh, and I guess that's the, I guess they say it's the acronym for job, right? Just over broke. Um, but yeah, so Harv uh, says that, and it's interesting because I know somebody, and I, I'm not going to say much more about that because people figure out who it is, but <laughs> I know somebody who just won a bit of money and not, not a lot, but um, let's just say in the 25 to 50,000 range. And they, and which is not a lot in the bigger scope of things, but for them, as somebody whose income level probably has never been above 25 a year, you know, mm -hmm. two years income. Anyway, they owed somebody else money and they said, well, I better give it to you right away because I'm scared next week the money will be gone. My point is one week to spend the money. And yes. so that was a long way to say what you were talking about. Does that tie into it? The idea that um, if people don't make a shift and it could be that emotional shift we talked about or the bottom, or maybe it's anchoring or visualization or something else. Do you feel it is true that we'll always go back to that set point again? So is it true that if we don't do the work to shift those programs? Yes. So let me explain this a little bit more with the analogy that we talked about earlier. So when we're facing what we don't want, really what we're facing is all those fears and worries and doubts. They're all those programs, neurological programs, belief programs, typically from our early childhood, kind of the zero to six or seven time frame when we were, you know, what we call the imprint years, when we were really conditioned, when we basically, our brain was like a sponge and we just absorbed everything that we saw and heard, whether it made logical sense or not. So as long as we're facing over here, so if there's a program that says, let's say money is bad, let's say there's a kid who's watching TV and his parents are you know, fighting in the kitchen about money. And this little kid is seeing his mom being upset, maybe dad raising his voice. And, and in his brain, he's saying, okay, this, they're arguing about money, therefore money is a bad thing. And if that little boy does not become conscious of that, that program will dictate his decisions about money his whole life. He will literally self-sabotage over and over again, where he either won't take those actions won't make the, let's say, investments, those kinds of things. Or if he does, he'll get enough away from that, but then he'll be addicted to that program because the brain um, really just anchors the meaning that we give to, to any thought, to any um, thought that we have. So what that means is from that point on, that little boy, let's say he's three or four, every time he's thinking about money, his brain is looking for evidence that money is bad. 
So if somebody loses money or he sees a TV show or he hears somebody else talking about money, his brain is going, yes, yes, that, that belief is true. And that program in his brain, literally that neural network in his brain just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until he um, absolutely believes it to be true. So if the per person has that program, like I said, they're addicted to the chemicals of that. Every thought has a certain chemical signature associated with it. So he will get enough further away, right? It's like that boom bust that you talked about, right? Making a million, losing a million, making a million. And so when I work with clients, when we do breakthrough sessions, I work mostly with business owners these days. And, and some of them have these, all of them have a pattern, a certain pattern. Right. And for a lot of business owners, what I see over and over again, and when I say breakthrough session, I mean somewhere between 12 to 20 hours of a deep dive, understanding what is the real root cause of the problem. I'm a hypnotherapist. I'm a trainer of something called NLP. I do a lot of inner work with people. And so what we do is we understand what that program is, where it started from. And then we just help them to let go of all those negative emotions and all those limiting beliefs that are really holding them captive so that we cut that off. And then at the same time, we're also having them where we elicit values, you know, so people can ask themselves, what is most important for me? For example, in the context of my business or my health or my family or, or my spirituality, whatever that might be. And to, to ask, what will it take to to get there, right? For me to have what I want. So, so visualization, taking actions, right? Thinking thoughts that are aligned with what we want. So the idea is it's a twofold process, right? So in order for us to achieve lasting change, we've got to have a compelling vision, a really meaningful, that why that you mentioned, right? A really meaningful and compelling reason, right? Drive for us to move towards what we want. At the same time, we have to let go of all those old programs that, that will hold us back. Otherwise, we'll get enough far back and then find ourselves right back there. And I see that all the time. So we really literally unchain you know, people from those old programs. And that's easy to do. We can release a limiting belief in five to 10 minutes, working directly with the unconscious mind. Now, your listeners can also do that um, through habits, through habits. So every time they catch themselves when they don't feel good in their body, let's say something happens, somebody says something, they see something, and all of a sudden they don't feel good, that's a sign that, that there's some inner resistance to whatever it is that's happening, right, in their life. So um, let's say um, I'm at the store this afternoon and I don't know, let's say I, I, there's a long line, I'm just making this up as we speak, but let's say there's a long line at the cash register and I'm starting to get frustrated, right? What does that mean, right? Because if I'm getting frustrated, there's, there's some program, there's some belief about that that's driving me to feel that way because any experience is just a neutral experience right? I get to assign a meaning. So if I'm giving a negative meaning, which makes me feel not so great, that means that there is a program. So I can say to myself, hmm, what's the story I'm telling myself right now? Okay, well, I'm telling myself that maybe they should have more cashiers or something like that. And then I can start to, the moment I become aware of that and aware of how I'm feeling, right? I'm feeling frustrated. Yes, the thought is they should have more cashiers available and, uh, you know, at a time like this. Then I can, first of all, that already releases a lot of the charge because I'm conscious of that. I'm not repressing those emotions like we do. And so, um, and then I can say, okay, great. If that's the program, okay, what, what, what is in my power here? Well, I can change the thought. I can think, you know, a better feeling thought. I can focus more. Am I grateful that I have money in my bank account to pay for these groceries? Boy, am I glad that I have a car to get to the grocery store. Boy, am I glad I have a family to feed with the groceries, right? So I can start to change my focus rather than on what I don't want. I can change the focus towards what I do want, right? To feeling good. And the moment I do that is the moment my body goes, ah, 
right? I'm out of that stress response, right? That fear response. And I'm already thinking about all the great things. And when I have those good chemicals in my body, because I'm focused on a good feeling thought, my brain is sending a more coherent signal from my heart up to my head brain. And that makes me think more clearly. So I'm not thinking those thoughts anymore. I'm thinking about um, you know, what, what I could do with my day or, or, or maybe how to support or, you know, maybe I'm going to say a really nice comment to the cashier because I understand she's got a lot of pressure because there's this long line and I'm going to be much more compassionate with myself and others. And of course, ultimately get better results. And the biggest result of all is to feel better, right? That's what we want. It's not about the thing that we're going to get when we get there. It's about feeling good in the process of it. That's the whole purpose of this life. Wow. So what I love about that, and I'll add in too, when you were saying about the story you're telling yourself, what's interesting is before you said those words, I was mad. <laughs> so my coach, Tiffany, that's, she'll, whenever I, and I'm not, a, I, I, so based on anything anybody's ever shared with me and based on my own feeling toward it, I'm not a big negative self-talk person at all. But if I say, I'll give you an example because it's never about me saying I can't do this, I can't do that. I, I have a, a pretty strong confidence level. What it is is that, uh, let's say, if she's keeping me accountable to stuff and said, "So did you do it this week?" and my answer is no, and then I now she's even got me to the point where now <laughs> I don't even give her the excuse anymore because she doesn't care. Um, meaning she doesn't care about the excuse because it's just an excuse. But yes. when I started with her, she'd say, "Okay, so just so I understand, that's the story you're telling yourself now. Is that correct?" And just saying it that way, and, what, and once you understand what she means by the story you're telling yourself, then all of a sudden, you start to understand what she's saying. And, and by the way, I mean, like everybody else, she's, she still will fall into that, and then she'll go, wait, why am I telling the story to myself? But <laughs> calling it a story and, and talking about it that way makes you feel different about it. it you become less attached to it That's because right. it's just a story rather than you saying this is a truth. That, that's just my take from it. It's absolutely true. And just because we have a thought does not mean that it's true, right? What's a belief? A belief is just a thought that we've repeated over and over and over again so many times that we believe it to be true. I mean, think of anorexic patients, mm -hmm. right? They believe that they're overweight, right? But sadly, they're morbidly underweight. But in their mind, that's the truth, right? So we say, Carl Jung said, you know, perception is projection. So literally what you perceive to be true, right, as your reality is going to be projected. You're going to project that on and that's going to be mirrored back to you. So our life is a uh, literally a mirror image of our inner world. So if there's something that's great in our life, that means we've got some good programs that align with that. If there's something in our life that's not so great, it's an opportunity to pause and say, hmm, what do I believe about that? Like, let's say if somebody has an issue with a spouse, right? Okay, what do I believe about marriage? What do I believe about me as a partner in this marriage? What do I believe about my partner? And then you notice if you allow yourself to even just write that down, you know, to just take a blank piece of paper and just write it all down, even if it makes no sense, even if it's not logical, right? To just write it down and say, maybe I'm not a good enough wife. I'm not a good enough mother or husband or, or father, whatever that might be. And because if there's any pain associated with that, then there is an unconscious program. And the moment you become conscious of that, you have the opportunity and the responsibility to shift that by asking questions like, hmm, what is the story I'm telling myself? And how true is that story? Well, maybe it's not so true that I'm a bad parent because you know, I've done this and that, or because you know, whatever it might be, or I'm just doing the best that I can you know, with what I have available to me, with how I was brought up, with what I 
know to be true. But the moment that we become conscious of those programs is the moment that we can shift that. And I think what's brilliant about Tiffany, your coach, what she's helping you to do is to essentially understand that you are at cause, you and so is everybody else, me included, at cause for everything in our life. So we could either, I always speak with, with clients and with my, in my NLP practitioner trainings um, about you know, cause and effect, right? Mm -hmm. So at any moment, we're either at cause or at effect. So what that means is when we're at the effect, we're essentially kind of victims, right? Everybody's doing things to us. We're at the effect of our spouse, our boss, the economy, the market, the client, the supplier, the whatever it is, right? And, and these things around us in our external world are doing things to us, right? That make us feel badly in some way. Or we could be at the effect side of the equation and say, okay, you know, yes, this thing happened in my life. I certainly didn't welcome it. I didn't want it. But, you know, there's something, there's some, you know, the sum of all of my unconscious and conscious decisions, behaviors at some point led to this. So the moment that we take responsibility, right, is the moment that we can start to get results because our brain is not focused on the problem. It's focused on the solution. So it can help us to get the solution. So what basically your coach is telling you, Tiffany's telling you is excuses, right? When you're at the effect, you're, it's all excuses, right? At the end of life, Corey, you know, do you want to have, you know, she's basically, do you want to have a bunch of excuses or do you want to have results, right? Because there's always somebody to blame if we really look for it, right? Our brain will always give us what we want. If we're looking for someone or something to blame, we will find it very quickly. How's that going to serve us? Not so much, right? At the end of the day, we're not going to get the result we want. Yeah, can't, can't take excuses to the bank, right? No, absolutely. They don't cash those in. <laughs> I, uh, as we, you know, before we jump into our three rapid fire questions, one thing I wanted to add on to that, which I love about what you said, and I will say, you know, Tiffany and I do subscribe. It's funny, we met in a different, unique way. She was my client first. Uh, me being a speaker, she was my client at her car dealership, which she still owns, but she, uh, she actually went through Jack Canfield's. Uh, train the trainer program and she's now one of his trainers training the trainers um, so uh, and we just been really good friends ever since we met and so that she doesn't take on a lot of coaching clients right now she's runs 12 businesses besides that but she really when she jumped in she just got it immediately and she actually she uses it in all her companies with their staff but anyway the point I was gonna make is I introduced her to Jack's work first <laughs> and one of the things that Jack shared, and it's not his, I think he said W. Clement Stone taught him it, and it was way around, way before W. Clement Stone, but you may have heard of it before, but it's E plus R equals O as an equation. And so when you were saying that about cause and effect, that was probably, it sounds so small, or sorry, I'll say it this way. It sounds weird that something that seems so small could be so transformational. But mm -hmm. when I first heard it, where it went to my head right away is what you just said. And by the way, I, I share it with people now. And I always, I'm that person because I do so much of this. I always credit whoever I learned it from, even though I'm often, I always say it's not Jack's because Jack credited somebody else. You have to give that credit. But the thing that it did for me is it taught me quickly. And I, I think I always inherently believed this for at least for a long time. It taught me inherently that the events I couldn't control, but I could control my responses, which meant I could control the outcome, which then taught me that everything that was uh, my outcome today was a result of how I responded in the past, which gave, it told me I had to take 100% responsibility because I chose how I responded to those events. So even though it's an equation, I think people that may not go that deep into it could still take and say, wow, I understand what he's saying. If somebody cuts me off in traffic and gives me the middle finger, I get to choose how I respond, which is going to dictate the outcome. So they can see it on that level. But what it did for me almost immediately is it hit me in the level of going, wow, 
So all of the things I've got now, good and bad, are a result of the responses I made to all the events that hit me. So to me, it went really deep and it made me believe that I get to choose the story. So anyway, why I say this is because that's how deep it hit me. That's right. And that's brilliant. And, and, and that is the truth. And the truth will set you free. So when you know the truth of that, right, that we are really creating our own reality unconsciously most of the time, we're asleep most of the day, right? They say 95 to 98% of everything we think, feel, and do is out of a program, right? So, so what does that mean? It, it, when you become conscious of that, like you did, there's unlimited power, right? That's true freedom because you know that, yes, you created those things, which means that you can create whatever it is that you want. If you align your thoughts and your emotions and your behavior with that, you will get that result. It's, it's undeniable. It's the truth. It's, it's a fact of life. It's science. And neurologically, what that means, I'm a trainer with the HeartMath Institute. And so I know a lot about the brain and the heart and, and the neurology of change. And what is absolutely true is that when we are um, at the effect, when we're in that victim mindset, you know, that all these things are happening to me and poor me and, you know, which I was at, by the way, when I first lost my job, I thought, oh, poor me, why me out of all these other people? Yes, there were 25 or 26 other people that got laid off, but, you know, why me? What, what did I do wrong? Right? All those kind of victim thoughts. And, and uh, when we're in that state, we're, again, we're neurologically not able to access the front part of our brain, right? The cortex, the, the, the thinking, reasoning, logical ideas, innovation, creativity, because, because we're, we're hijacked, we're inhibited. When we're in that state, there is, like I said, an, what's called an incoherent signal going up to our brain. And so when we're in the state of saying, okay, I am at cause, I don't know how, I don't know why, but it really doesn't matter. But what it means is that moving forward, I can choose my thoughts. I can choose how I want to feel, right? Even just a simple practice of gratitude can shift, like I said in the cashier example, right? Can shift our state, right? And so the moment we become conscious, the moment we choose a different thought, a different emotion is the moment we choose a new future. We're no longer addicted to the past. We're choosing and creating, actively creating a new future. Most of us are creating, but we're creating by default, right? We're not creating actively. We kind of say, okay, I want to be healthier. I want to have good relationships. We're not specific enough. We don't really know why we want those things. And we're not conscious of any habitual thoughts that are not aligned with that. Knowledge is power. When we're consciously aware, we have the power to change. And that's what's really exciting about all of this work that you do and that you share with your listeners, because it is absolutely true that we are in control of our state and therefore our results. So um, I think it's really cool that you helped uh, Tiffany get into that world that then you know, completely resonated with her because she was at that same level, right? Her, her thoughts aligned with that. And that's why, you know, of course, that came back to you to support you as things always do, right? We help someone and we, one way or another, get help back because it's energy. It's energy. It's all transfer of energy. So... Interestingly, and, and so I'll add this one last thing before I bring us to the, the wrap <laughs> around. But um, one of the things that, and I'll, I'll send you, and I'm saying this sort of on the air, whether this edited or not, but uh, we'll decide. But, and, and it doesn't have to be because I've been sharing on Facebook that I'm working on a slightly secret project. Uh, so I won't say yet on the air what it is, but I'll tell you it's a documentary and it's around some of the things we're talking about. So um, what I'll do is I'm going to circle back to you and send you an email after this to tell you a little bit about it because what you're talking about so aligns with it. What I will say 
which is really intriguing to me is, and I've went out of my way to not say, because it changed a lot of lives, it impacted a lot of lives, it introduced people to a lot of thoughts like manifestation and attraction. So I go out of my way not to say anything negative about The Secret, per se, uh, the movie. Uh, the only thing I'm, I've said, and I don't think it's a negative, it's just I think I, it's a wish that I would, wish it would have had. Uh, and I put it in my latest book, uh, which is, the book's called The Book of Why, but in one section of the book, I talk about the law of action. You know, mm -hmm. so I had talked about the law of attraction for an hour and whatever, 20 minutes, but it never actually talked about how do you act on this and what steps you take to act on it. And in fact, recently I interviewed uh, Lisa Nichols, who's in The Secret, and Lisa was saying that for years after, the, the, after being on The Secret, she went out during talks and said, here's the thing, if you just try to attract and visualize what you want, but you don't get off the couch, all you're going to have at the end is a big dent in your couch. And, you know, and Mike Dooley, uh, who, by the way, is in, both of them are involved in this documentary I'm working on. And so Mike talks about this. But here's my point of this. And actually, John Asaraf was in The Secret called The Answer to The Secret. Um, so why I say all this is because what I love about what you've just shared today, even just this glimpse, is you're actually telling us practically how to use what we learned in the law of attraction. Because I think millions of people watch that. I mean, it had a, it was one of the biggest movements ever. But and I saw so many people when it came out saying, I'm going to change my life now. I know how to do it. But then what I was saying in my head is, but where's the action? You know, if you, if you say, I want to visualize this and I want this to happen to me, but you never even take a step in front of the thing that you want to draw to yourself, mm -hmm. it's just going to draw it in the wrong direction. So anyway, the point I'm saying of all this is why this is so, for me, I'm so, I guess, happy about the way you shared this is you're giving us practical steps to apply this idea of attraction and manifestation versus just saying, if you sit on the couch with a genie lamp, you'll have a motorbike out there tomorrow waiting for you. Yes. And, and, and action is absolutely important. And I want to, and I want to make it clear for your viewers that it's not just about action. Mm -hmm. So what do I mean by that? So yes, you know, for example, somebody in job transition, they could be sending out resumes and applications all day long, attending networking events all day long. And that won't necessarily get the results what will get the results is them being in a certain state as they are having those networking conversations, as they're even writing those resumes or emails or whatever it is, certainly in interviews, it's the energy that they bring with that. So if they just think, like you said, in the, in the secret, right? I think I want a job. I want a job and I want a job. That's not going to get you a job. What will get you a job is to feel your way into already having the job. So to do some rituals like gratitude, like visualization, where you actually your body's actually feeling that. And this is science, what I'm sharing with you. This is all right out of HeartMath Institute. If you go on heartmath.org, if, if your listeners do that, they can see all the research, over 300 peer-reviewed, independent, research, published research studies. And what, what the secret really is, is that when they get into that feeling place and they're feeling better, their brain will give them ideas about what to do. So it's not just taking actions, it's taking the right actions. So they'll get the idea to call the individual, to go to a certain event, but they, they're going to follow their emotions and what feels right because their unconscious mind is speaking to them through emotions. And their unconscious mind knows what is the right path for them because yeah. it's recorded all the events from all their past history that they may not be conscious of, but they, that's all recorded unconsciously. In hypnosis, we can take a client 50 years back and help them remember everything with precise detail. That's because the unconscious mind remembers everything. So when they can feel their way into the new job or into being a certain size weight-wise or into having a business or whatever it is that people want to create, 
they will get the ideas. And then, of course, they got to take massive, massive action on those ideas. But it's not just about action. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that. And even in the book, I talk, and I have the equation. I don't have it in front of me, so it's been a while since I wrote the book. <laughs> Basically, law of attraction plus the law of action uh, plus intention plus visualization, I think, equals success or something like that. Mm -hmm. But to, I, the example I gave was I, was, I, when I gave the story example, I was early on in my speaking career. And I said, this year, I want to share the bill with one world-renowned thought leader, essentially is what I said. And so I said, I put, um, I think I put three speakers on the list. And anyway, so I did this whole exercise. But the gist is, and, and I put uh, them in order of who I want to share the bill with. So what I did was I put Deepak Chopra at the top. And so then I went down the list and I said, now I got to research and see where they're going. Because if Deepak isn't going to go on the road the whole year, mm -hmm. And I can't visualize him into, like, if he's visualizing he doesn't want to go on the road at all, I'd be home with his family. I don't think I can counter visualize him to go on the road, especially considering the years he has on me in doing this. So the point is, is he had to be on the road, first of all. Secondly, Deepak, most of his events are just Deepak, an evening with Deepak. So the idea is I had to get a live event where he's sharing the bill with somebody else. So I went through all that, first of all, and I visualized it the whole time. I felt, what would it be like for, for my bio? to be read by the introducer saying, and Corey has shared the bill with the likes of Deepak Chopra. And then I had to visualize what that would feel like getting called on the stage doing it. So I share all this in the book. And then, but the gist I say about, here's where the action comes in, is I said, but if I did all of that, Deepak, by the way, was only at one event that whole year where he, there were other speakers involved. The good news is it was near my own backyard, but mm -hmm. I was only at one event. And so I reached out to the organizers and they said, well, good, you know, good news. We had all our speakers planned, but somebody canceled. And this is after I told them what I want to speak on. We <laughs> love your talk, all that kind of So then the synchronicity kicked in and all that. But my point of this whole thing is the action part. If I would have never reached out, if I wouldn't have looked up where he's speaking, I could have all day long even felt my way into it and visualized, and it probably wouldn't have happened. Because awesome. there was only one event. The odds that these organizers who didn't know me and were already full, whenever mm -hmm. I decided to start putting this into place, the odds that they would say, let's kick somebody out and bring Corey in who we don't even know all of that happening within about a month would probably be unlikely. So I think all of that had to happen for it to work. But to your point, I had to feel like I was being introduced as the speaker that shares the bill with Deepak, but I also had to take action and get off the couch and figure out where he was going to be and reach out to the organizers. I believe all of that stuff had to happen. And the end result is within a month, so this was, I visualized that in January. I was, the event was already well far into being ready to run. And within a month, I was on the stage. By the way, I ended up having this second, it was like six, um, 40 speakers were there. I was the second last speaker before Deepak. So I kind of feel like I was this co-editor. And then I was being filmed uh, for this uh, television show, uh, Eastlink TV, and Deepak wasn't filmed for it. So I was like, I was on the bill with Deepak. <laughs> but I mean, it was a local, you know, access show or whatever. But the point is, all of that stuff, I think it took more than the law of attraction. This is my whole message. Absolutely. The law of attraction is just helping people to understand that they're, that they have control over their reality. But, but the way to do that is exactly the way that you did that. And congratulations, by the way. Right. So what did you do? You did the work, right. To prime your brain and your body for it. Right. To get into that feeling state of already having it. And then your brain helped you. Your unconscious mind gave you those ideas because you were in that good feeling place. You weren't in a place of lack of I can't or it's not enough time or it's too late or oh my God, you know, you were thinking of possibilities. You were facing the solution, not the problem. And so anytime you do that, your brain, right, your reticular activating system, part of your brain that 
you know, is always looking for to help you, um, you know, see matches to what it is that you deem as relevant and important. And this was something that was relevant and important to you. So all of a sudden you got the idea that you could do this and you could do this and you took action. Right. But you did that because it was meaningful to you. So, so that's why I said at the beginning, it's all about desire and belief because the desire was so compelling that when that idea came up, you took action. Right. No matter what you had going on that day, you, it became a priority. You found the time and energy to do that because you believed it could happen and you knew what you wanted. That's the key. Right. We got to know what we want and we got to believe that it's possible. When those two things align, when our conscious intentions and our unconscious belief programs align, then we get those ideas and we're motivated to take the action. Most people start with the action part or they get stuck because they don't know the how. So, yeah. I, you know, and so what I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to ask you one more question because we're on a pattern here that I want people to learn from. We're even over the time I planned because I'm, I'm passionate about what you're sharing as well. But what I want to do is I want to ask you one more question in this area and then I'm just going to do one rapid fire question today. I'm going to change my own rules, but um, <laughs> Why I wanted to bring this up is because I think it's important to add this one component for people that are listening to this because we're in sort of a groove where I think some people have been looking for this answer as to how to do this. Uh, the secret unearthed something in them quite a while back, obviously now, and they still may have not found what they need, and this might help them a bit. Um, but here's an example. I'm not going to say who because it's part of the Slightly Secret Project, <laughs> but I will say it's an author who sold 100 million books. So that, that puts them in a story. <laughs> when I send you the email about the project, I'll, I'll say who it was. But anyway, the point is he intended his way into a New York Times bestseller, but it took eight years. And mm -hmm. daily for eight years, he set the intention. So here's my other last question in this area. What if, what, so what do you tell people? Because this is, this is the challenge. I was talking to people that watched The Seeker, for instance, and said, I'm going to attract this and do intentions, and I'm going to have this in my life in a week. And so it took him eight years. He could have put out other books, but he had faith the book was going to work. I think his spouse kept saying, this is the book. Trust me, it's the book. So, but here's my question. What would you say to people whenever they say, if this works, why did it take him eight years? And he was practicing it every day. So my question is, because this is the challenge. I think most people want a quick fix or they want to believe. And you hear it so many times people are saying, whatever I set an intention on, within a month, it's done. And yet he did this for eight years, but ended up being the, in his, I'm trying not to share who he is, but in his genre, he's 10 times the best-selling author in that genre of all time. So it's so that the results were massive, but his intentions took way longer than we're told intentions take. So I just like to get your thoughts on that. I mean, I know it's a, it's an unfair question because you don't know the circumstances, but I'm just curious your thoughts about it. So what I know to be absolutely true is that the level of pain that we experience is equivalent to the breakthrough and the transformation that we will experience when we break through those old patterns. Mm -hmm. So I believe that in this case, this person, was meant to have that experience and to persist through that experience so that he or she could inspire other people to be persistent and resilient through their own journeys, no matter how long it takes. Because I imagine, I don't know, but I imagine that that's a part of his or her message, right? Is to inspire, support, empower people to keep the path, right? To find a way. So, so, so if he or she hadn't gone through that, they wouldn't be in a place to truly share that with other people because they have not experienced that. 
But the key is that as long as we're facing this way, it's undeniable that we are going to achieve what we want. Think about it, right? It's science because as long as we're focused on what we want and we're taking action that's aligned with that, even if we fail 10, 20, 100 times, Every time, if we're focused on what we want, we ask ourselves, what did we learn from that? How can we do even better? What will it take? What will it take? What will it take? And ultimately, we're going to get what it takes, and we're going to do it, and it's going to land. It's a fact. And I guess to that point, the result is bigger because it impacted, well, it impacted indirectly or directly at least 100 million people. You know, because you, you got I got to say indirectly because some people pick up a book and don't read it. But the point is, it still impacted a lot more people than a small intention would and a small mm -hmm. goal. And at the same time, I guess when you said it that way, what it made me think of is in Think and Grow Rich, which is still one of, to me, one of the monumental books that I go back to all the time. In fact, I'm rereading it right now. Um, you know, he talks about Einstein and knowing Einstein and I, and he doesn't say it, but it's implied that Einstein did some intentions around inventing the light bulb and how many tries did it take? So what, what if he would have given up and saying, well, it's not, it's a month and I've tried 15 times. How, how different would our world be? Sure. It would eventually have happened, but it would have been different. The whole uh, butterfly effect would have been different from that. But to that point, he didn't give up after anyway. The number, I don't know how true the numbers anymore. Cause I've heard people say a hundred, a thousand, 10,000 times that he tried. I don't know what the number is anymore. I don't know if it's an urban myth now, but the point is we still know it was more than 10 or 15 tries. So yes. And that's brilliant. A brilliant example. And, and that example and the example of the, the gentleman that you spoke with or the, or the lady is, is what do you do during those one year, you know, one month, 10 months, 10 years, what do you do during that? If you can get yourself to feel good as you're doing it and as you're getting whatever it is out there does it really matter whether you get it or not because you're still feeling good right so yes you will get it it's just a matter of time and you're feeling good throughout the whole thing you're not in a place of lack so anytime somebody stops and says hey this is not working this is not working fast enough it's too hard then they're creating resistance because their brain is getting incoherent and they're literally blocking their ability to stay motivated and to, to have the clarity of thought to keep doing what they're doing and to project that belief, you know, because guess what? At some point when that person sold that book, they, the person who bought the book, right? I don't know if it was a publisher or whatever we're talking about, but that person believed in him or her so much that they were willing to take a chance. So that came from feeling good. If they were in a place of after 10 years feeling completely um, demotivated and, and completely depleted, they would not have sold it after 10 years or 20 years. It would not have happened. Well, you hit the key on the head. So in this case here, I think, and I'd have to check again the, the details on this, but I believe they were already with the publisher and the book was out selling, but it just took a much longer time to hit the list than most books would ever, but they didn't give up. But to your point, you said a key thing, and I've said this for a long time, but again, I, I always be, am careful to say, I may have heard this somewhere else, or I, I don't know if I came up with it or my wording is different, but I've, I've, said, I've asked the question to people, but you know what, let's think about this. What if the journey really is the destination? And I think that's the thing is that he, and I can say it's a he in this case, I'm still not that worried about people figuring out. And, and the only reason I'm not saying it is because when we release this, I want it to be fresh, um, who the person was. But the point is, is that he enjoyed the journey. He was selling books. It wasn't like he wasn't selling books. It just wasn't at that astronomical New York Times bestseller level. But I love the story of eight years of doing this intention without knowing if it was, I mean, he believed it was going to happen or he wouldn't have kept doing it. But my point is without having any 
physical proof that was going to happen. I love that story. So I, I think you're right. He enjoyed what he was doing. He was teaching uh, the book as well. Like everything was happening the way he wanted it to, but he just didn't give up and say, I'll just put the next book out and it'll become the best one. Um, but you know, we can compare it to Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen with Chicken Soup for the Soul because that book uh, was rejected 142 or 144 times. I can't remember. I heard it from Jack, but I forget now. One of the two. Uh, but the book got picked up by a tiny publisher and they said, they set all these intentions with the book, but the point is that book took a year and a half to hit the New York Times list. As you know, books usually either hit it or they don't. It usually happens in the first two weeks. It rarely ever happens a year or two years later. But by the way, they went from not hitting the list at first to Jack, and I think Mark, but I might be, it might have been just Jack, had, has a world record for the most amount, a Guinness Book of World Record, for the most amount of New York Times bestsellers on the list at one time. And I think the reason Jack has it, Mark doesn't, is because I think Jack had the success principles at the same time on the list. But the point is he went from not hitting it in almost two years and people saying you'll never hit it, publishers saying nobody will buy the book, to having seven books at one time on the New York Times list. And That's a, the way it happens. And, yeah. I think. and, and by and, the way, and, Jack and Mark, massive in the world of intention. I mean, they mm -hmm. believe in this wholeheartedly. That's so they right. set intentions into the affirmations. So I you just know, I want to explore that. And, and I think, you know, Earl Nightingale um, has said, you know, he defines success as, you know, the progressive um, realization or the success of realization of a worthy ideal. And I think that that's what we're talking about, because as long as we are, there's something that we, as you did, right, in the case of what you manifested with Deepak Chopra, it was a worthy ideal. It was something that was meaningful to you at a heart level. It wasn't just here. It was here. It was important to you. It was aligned with your values, with how you want to serve in the world. And so when there is that worthy ideal and we're taking action, even if it's just baby steps at first, but we're taking action. We bought the course. We're listening to the course. We're setting up the meetings. We're doing, we're moving, we're moving, we're moving. Even if we don't yet see the result or even get anywhere close to smelling the result, we're, we're, we're still moving forward. That's success. So for those 10 years, that gentleman moved closer and closer to and closer to success, not in terms of tangible results of what he could hold in his hand or put in his bank account yet. But yet he was successful because he was moving towards taking active action towards something that was meaningful and important to him. And in order to do that, we got to keep active. We got to condition our mind and body because otherwise the mind just goes back to the old programs. We got to actively condition. We got to do the intentions. We got to visualize and feel our future because then our body feels like we're already in the future. And guess what? When we're there and we're feeling good, does it even really matter whether we get it or not? Right? We got the feeling anyway. Anything we want is for a feeling, right? A piece of chocolate, a, a boat, a, an opportunity to be on the stage with Deepak Chopra, right? all these things, we're doing it for a feeling. That's why we're doing all these things. So the key is to get the feeling and the result will come. The tangible result will come as long as you keep persistent and resilient. And as part of that is staying coherent, being, being in a place of feeling good. Anytime we feel lack, we feel fear, we feel worried, we feel doubt, shift that thought. You can do it. You're in charge of your mind. You're in charge of your results. Nobody else is except for you, right? So... As I get to my last question, I'll just add this and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose the last <laughs> question to you uh, just because I know we're getting really close to the time and, and uh, I'm always worried about somebody else uh, joining us. Um, so uh, having said that, um, the, it's interesting. I was with Lisa Nichols, as I mentioned, a couple of weeks ago. And, and one of the things she said, which I loved, and this ties into what you're saying about the feeling, is she said, your only job, your only job in life is to create memories mm -hmm. and to create memories that people will want to hear. And I think that ties into the feeling. Because the memory comes with that great feeling that you just shared. 
that you're going to get. And that's what we're searching for. So anyway, I think that ties in together. Brilliant. I love that. Um, Brilliant. So my last question, uh, Virid, and I'm going to tie this into the unofficial question, which is how can we learn more? So my question is called the time machine question. If you could jump into a time machine, if such a thing existed, A, would you jump in? And B, if you would, uh, and you could go back to talk to your younger self, what do you think you might tell her? And then I'll tell you this, rather than me ask a separate question after this. Also, how can we learn more if we want to dive deeper into your world? Okay, wow, great question. So um, would I want to change? No, would I want, I mean, I would go back to, to enjoy more of those things that I don't think I allowed myself to really enjoy back then because I was so focused on results and, um, you know, so I guess I would go back to really savor every moment even more. Um, would I change anything? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because just like you, just like anybody else, it brought me to exactly where I am in this moment with you today to have all those memories, right? We get, we get um, joy and learning from things that are happy memories and even from memories of things that at the time didn't work out so well, but boy, my God, they happen. Because I, if I had not experienced that pain, if I didn't know darkness, if you will, I would not have wanted light. I would not have wanted a change. Mm-hmm. So that created momentum for other, even better things in my life. So I think that what I would tell my younger self is, first of all, everything, everything, everything is always working out for you, even if it may not seem like that in the moment. Um, and, uh, and, you know, to our point right now, just, just keep working, keep clarifying what you want, keep taking action. You'll get there. You'll get there. It's okay. Right? It's okay. Yeah. Wow. And then, so how can we learn more? Uh, you can go on my website, veridkogan.com. Uh, you can follow me on YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, all those good things. Um, you can email me at verid at veridkogan.com. Yeah, and I'll be happy to answer any questions if somebody has any follow-up questions on this conversation or if I can support them in any way, I'll be happy to. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.